What am I willing to do to go get it? I push things aside just to go get it. I know my role and I play my position. You talking too much. Please learn how to listen. I never give up. I'm not quitting. Welcome back to the Wine Network, where we interview every job occupation, A through Z, from the trash man to the CEO, and ask them why and how they started their career so that you can find your dream job, too. I'm your host, Kojo Thompson, and today we have a very special guest with us. It is Dr. April J. Lisbon. Now, April is a 20-year veteran of public school psychology who has worked with individuals aged 3 through 22 over her tenure. Working in both urban and suburban school districts, she feels blessed and loves the opportunity to serve her students, parents, and school family. Now, April has a lot to share with us here today. So, April, shall I proceed? Yes, indeed. Let's go. Now, April, how are you feeling today? I'm wonderful. Great, great, great. And uh, April, you know, before this interview cut on, we were um, just talking about how we were actually in the same D.C. area and loving it. So um, this is the first interview of the day. And I'm really excited to get it kicked off, especially with somebody so close by to me. So, April, let's go ahead and get rocking and rolling into these questions, because I think people are excited to hear about it. So, April, why did you become a school psychologist? Oh, that's you know what? That's a good question, Kojo. Initially, I did not want to become a school psychologist. Initially, I wanted to become an attorney. However, when I thought about my life's work, which was that of making changes in the lives of children, an attorney wasn't what I wanted to be. So as I continued to do some research throughout career, um, career classes in college, the idea of becoming a school psychologist showed up as one of my wheels for potential careers. The more I learned about the role of a school psychologist, because I knew I did not want to be a classroom teacher like both of my parents, the more I felt like that was a place and a position that I wanted to do. It gave me the opportunity to freely work with children from a variety of ages while not physically being in the classroom setting. And so when that happened, I decided to apply to graduate school and the rest is history 20 years later. Beautiful, beautiful. And and let me um really... I really want to hear more about that process. So you said, you know, you just uh, apply for it. But like what was like when when did it really um, dawn on you that, um, you know, being a you didn't want to be in the classroom um, like your, your parents were. And, you know, you really just wanted to like what what, what age were you like? How long did it take? Like I, what, what was that process like for you? You know what? Honestly, um, I want to say I decided to really focus in on becoming a school psychologist Ooh, I'm telling my age back in 1996. So that was never what I wanted to be. So where I grew up, I didn't grow up in the U.S. I grew up in the Virgin Islands. There were no school psychologists in our area. So I had never seen a school psychologist, never heard of a school psychologist or anything of that nature. Mm-hmm. So um, for me, the only thing that I was very familiar with was educators and attorneys, which is where that drive and that dedication to want to be an attorney was all about. Um When I think through the process, I really wanted to be a family attorney. But when I looked at some of the work and the requirements, I I felt guilty that if I won the case, then that would create some division within households, you know, where um, children would be split from their families. And I didn't want to do that, especially since 
in high school, I worked at our local orphanage. And so I saw the pain that the children went through. I saw my own pain when I had to separate from the children that I worked with, you know, every single night when I had to go back home. And I did not want the occupation that I chose to be in to separate children and families. Wow. Yes. So as far as being in the classroom setting, look, the stress my parents went through, I I just didn't have the patience and tolerance. And like I tell people, I salute teachers every single day because it takes a lot of dedication. It takes a lot of patience and it takes a lot of grit to be an educator in the classroom setting. For me, because I know myself and my personality, that just was not going to work. So as like I said, it was about me, you know, in undergrad, um, I tried to get a job in my my major, which was rehabilitation services, they would not hire me because I didn't have any professional experience. And I'm thinking to myself, well, if you give me the, the opportunity, then I would have the professional experience. So it wasn't until you know I could not get a job in my major that I actually started to think back to that career development class that I had as an undergraduate student. And I was like, OK, what was the two key things for you that stood out. Of course, you know that economics, when you are a college student, anything above student loan money mm-hmm. is income. <laughs> so yeah. when I saw the, you know, the average income, I'm like, okay, I can do that. And then two, being able to make a difference in the lives of children. So every child that I work with, because a lot of my work stems and deals with special education, I knew that I was creating change and resolutions in the lives, not only of the children that I was serving, but also in providing the why for parents and teacher as to why a child was a struggling learner. So when I saw that, I was like, okay, this is something I wanna do. This is something that I wanna pursue. And once I became committed to that, that's when I started to apply to grad schools. Very nice, very nice. I really love that story right there. Um, now, uh, this is this is really a, a biggie right here for me. Um, but what what do you think were some childhood hobbies or habits that uh, you know matriculate into who you became today? Oh, um, you know what? Because I was an only child, I think a lot of it was pretend teaching. Like I said before, mm-hmm. I'm not a teacher, <laughs> but you know, I I would teach my stuffed animals, um, you know, how to read and write because I was a big reader. I was an avid writer. I would always write poetry. And so um, those used to be the things that I loved the most. But I think it really was just teaching my stuffed animals how to be successful and learning how to read. They couldn't write, but I taught them how to read, um, which then also helped me to feel comfortable in who I was, you know, as an individual, as a creative. And from there, like I said, it just helped, helped to open up more opportunities in how I work with students. So even in my professional career as a school psychologist, one of the things that I still do to this day, didn't even think about it until you mentioned this question, was building teams and helping teams to understand the process of not only a special education, but how students learn and how, you know, if you teach to a student's weakness versus their strength, you're not really getting all that the child knows. You're just tapping into their deficit area. And so for me, when I think back to teaching those teddy bears and things of that nature in my bedroom, those were some of the things that I was doing. I was, you know, creating understanding for my little classroom setting. I was, um, you know, building a team, you know, at that point in time. So really, I think was the reading, the writing and actually just, you know, teaching my teddy bears how to become scholars, even though they were inanimate. (laughs) Interesting. Interesting. That's, you know, that's something I always uh, like to hear uh, and get a lot of teachers 
that I've interviewed at least um, have the same uh, little story. Um, I know a couple of teachers who, you know, their childhood hobbies and habits were consisted of um, like writing books as kids or like just playing the teacher role every time they played. Uh, they played school at at um, whatever at with their friends or whatever. So, you know, that's really good. That's really nice to hear. Uh, I, I got to ask you this, though. A lot of people are interested to hear what's an average day like for you. You know what? My days actually vary um, depending on my caseloads and what's going on. So a lot of my work really circles around um, participating in meetings as well as doing assessments and report writing for students who our schools feel um, suspect that they have some type of disability, whether it's a learning disability, an emotional disability or even autism. So my average day, well, my average clock work day is six and a half hours with a, a 30 minute lunch, lunch break. And so um, in that process, that six and a half hours, I can, depending on the day, depending on the schools, because sometimes you can serve anywhere between one. I think the highest amount of schools I had was four schools at one point in time during my earlier part of my career. But typically you would spend depending on the amount of meetings, you could potentially spend about three to four hours in meetings, um, depending on the school setting. Plus, you may find time to test one or two students on a particular day. As far as report writing, sometimes um, I've made a commitment to myself not to bring reports home. Mm. Um, but there have been a couple of times when I've had to do it just because the timelines and the deadlines were coming up. But um, typically I can spend if it's a if it's a day that I don't have like a lot of meetings, I can literally spend anywhere between two and five hours of that six and a half hour clock hour time writing reports because we are governed by federal and state timelines. And so in order to be what we call in order to be in compliance, you have to make sure that you have some type of system, some type of rhythm to ensure that your reports are timely and you hold those meetings within a timely fashion. So a lot of my time is typically spent in meetings, typically spent writing reports and testing students. And there are rare occasions where I do have the opportunity to do one-on-one -on -one counseling with students, which is something that I love to do, although my schedule doesn't allow me to do it. So typically when I do have the ability to have some counseling time with my students, I typically spend about 15 to 20 minutes just checking in on them, seeing how they're doing, seeing how I can support them, um, as well as with the family. So really that's what an average day really looks like. But like I said before, it really all depends on your school climate your school setting, and how many cases you have meetings for on a particular day. Very nice. Very nice. And what do you enjoy the most about your work? You know, I think what I enjoy most about what I do as a school psychologist is the fact that I am actually helping students. And so I'll kind of sort of take it back to the orphanage scenario. One of the things, because there are three um, children, I still remember, they're going adults right now, that I made a vow that if I ever had an opportunity to work with children, I will put my all into it and not um, leave them by themselves, not make them feel like they're not wanted or supported. That was something that was very important for me when I was working at the orphanage prior to me graduating from high school and going to college. 
So that's something that I continue to put into my job as a school psychologist, helping, you know, the students whom I work with to understand how they learn, how they process information, as well as those things that can make learning challenging for them. And when you see that aha moment in students where they don't feel like, oh, this is something, it's not that I'm dumb, it's not that I'm lazy, and I use the word dumb because that's what they say. Mm. Um, It's not that I'm lazy, there is just it's just the way how my brain is wired. I just think through information differently and it's okay. It doesn't make me a failure. You know, one of the things that I work through with children, I, I define it as a superpowers. You know, some people may not like it, but I think about the story of Superman where, you know, he did all of these, this greatness, but there was something like that was his kryptonite and that would be his disability. So what I try to do is I try to help students to see their strengths, try to help parents to see their child's strengths as well as teachers and then how those differences and those learning, um, those learning structures impact them, which makes it harder for them to process information. So when I get that aha moment and that, oh, my gosh, thank you for making this clear for me. That's what I really love. I love bringing clarity to help families and educators and students to see that, you know, it's a learning difference. It has nothing to do with a child. It's just how the brain is wired. And that's what makes me excited about being a school psychologist every day. Very nice. Very nice. I really love that right there. Um, I'm going to have to ask you the back end of that question, though. What do you enjoy the least? Um, For me, sitting in meetings, (laughs) Um, you know, because I I, it's a a necessary as I call it, it's a necessary evil of the job. But sometimes if you're sitting in meetings for so long, you miss the opportunity to work with students. And so because I'm so um, child centered and so student centered, you know, sometimes meetings can go over an extended period of time. And I may have promised a student that, you know, I would be there to support them, to help them with an assignment. And because that meeting went over, then I missed that meeting. And so there's a level of guilt that comes with that. I also don't like the report writing, you know, although I have my own templates and I have my own system of writing reports. Sometimes I don't, I know, once again, it's a necessary evil, but sometimes I really don't think the reports that are written or the reports that I write really reflect the child that I'm working with. You know, I know I have to do the number crunching. I know I have to put this information in the report, but sometimes I feel like the reports that are written um, describe more of the student's weaknesses versus the strength. And so, you know, people don't see that bird's eye view that I get in that one-to-one setting as I'm watching this child work through the assessments that I'm getting, giving to them, you know, watching the tears, watching me give them encouragement. And then all of a sudden this, you know, the smile breaks on their face. Like recently I had a case where the student, um, you know, the student, people would say that the student would never smile. And so on the last day of the assessment, you know, he came up with a big smile and my school social worker at the point in time said, what did you do to him? And I'm like, oh my gosh, what did I do to this this person's child? And she was like, no, she was like, I've been working with this student for the last two years and he's never smiled about anything. She was like, this is the first time I've ever seen him smile. And so for me, when I'm focusing on meetings and I'm focusing on report writing, I'm missing the big picture. I'm missing the smiles of the child whose life I'm, I'm, I'm changing. So for me, that's the least that's the least about my job I don't like is being in meetings for extended periods of time as well as report writing. Perfect. Perfect. And I think everybody will um, agree to that, even from a psychologist down to, you know, I mean, up to an entrepreneur, you know, they hate the the back end paperwork, the, uh, you know, it's, it's just it's, it's real mundane and uh, time consuming. And uh, we, we all wish we didn't have to do it. Um, now, I, I got to ask you my absolute favorite question, though. Mm-hmm. 
And my absolute favorite question is, do you think that grades mattered in school for the success in your career today? I would say no. And I know people be like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe she said that. But no, I really don't think the actual grades, letter grades really mattered. Um, to the success of my career, what I think what really mattered is more so the determination to get the work done. Because in our program, everything was so rigid and so streamlined and so um, succinct, you had to always be on top of your game, meaning that if you miss a deadline once or twice, you potentially either had to take the program again or you were kicked out of the program. And so for me, having that structure of timeliness, of getting the work done, of collaboration, that really mattered most for my success success as a school psychologist than the actual physical grades. Now, the physical grades, they're a great thing because, you know, once again, that keeps you into your program. But coming out of my program, I've never had anybody in my 20-year career to say, oh, you got to see, which I did <laughs> my first year of statistics, you can't be a school psychologist. Mm. You know, so that never that never happened. People want to know, can you do the job? Do you have the training to do this job? And do you have the experience to make this work? So I think more than anything, it was less about the grades and more so about the determination, the dedication, the timeliness to doing the to getting the work done that um, school prepared me to be successful in my career today. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. And uh, this next question, I think you already answered it, um, in my opinion, uh, earlier on in the interview. But I'm going to go ahead and uh, ask anyway, just for those people who, you know, just want to hear the answer to it. Um, what do you feel your impact is? And when I say impact, I really mean, you know, what are you devoted to doing? So what's your devotion? Oh, absolutely. So um, honestly, it's going to be a lot different than school psychology. And what I mean by that is that school psych- being a school psychologist and working in the education field has been a springboard for what I am doing as an entrepreneur. And so what I mean by that is because I've been so blessed to work with so many neurodiverse learners in schools, those with high cognitive abilities, those with low cognitive abilities, it then has opened up the door for me to think beyond education. And what I mean by that is that once these students graduate from school, whether it's with a standard diploma or an alternative diploma, the next question is what's next for them? Because the reality is some of these students are not going to be able to be in a group home. They're not going to be living with parents. So what's next for them? So where I see my impact and where I'm starting that, which I'm super excited about, is that I am now creating a space for Gen Z and millennials to share their stories through a vlogcast show that I'm doing. What I mean by that is that kind of sort of like what we're doing here, describe what your superpower is all about. How has it impacted you from your childhood to current date? And how can we as a society support you on this journey to continue to see your success? And so by hearing the voices of young adults, specifically, I look at millennials and Gen Z, once again, going through that trajectory of education, you know, by hearing their voices, not only do parents begin to see and understand how their, as I call it, their superpower, but some people call it their disability, impact them 
um, in their present date, but also what they need from us in order to be successful. Sometimes we think through theory and through our own ideologies that we know what's best for our young people and we don't. Sometimes we have to hear their voices in order to make the connection. So I would not have had that opportunity and that experience and those that great idea had I not seen it firsthand in pre-K through 12 education. So for me, being a school psychologist was the springboard to then help me to create a platform where um, millennials and Gen Zs are able to share their truths about their disabilities unapologetically while educating the general public. And so I'm super excited about that. And as I said before, had I not been a school psychologist, I would have never been able to do that because there would have been no connection between them and myself. That's excellent. That's excellent. And again, we're, we're, we're going to um, save the, the link for that to, uh, at the end. I just got one last question for you today, April. And that is, if there is one, just one piece of advice for somebody out there listening who wants to be in the position that you're in today, what would it be? You know what? I think the one advice that I would give anyone that's looking to be a school psychologist is this. Be prepared to, and I'm thinking about this the best way I can, um, be okay with knowing that you can't change the system. And that was a very hard process for me because when you finish graduate school and you finish your internship as a school psychologist, you think that you can save the entire world. But then there are politics that comes along with this job that may go against the grain of your belief system, that may go against the grain of what you learned through schooling, through your internship and all of those things. And you have to be comfortable in learning how to be very fluid in this job. There's gonna be times when you feel like you're gonna wanna give up, you know, and you want to, as I called myself, my, you know, my first two years, I'm ready to retire from this job, I'm done with it all. And it's okay, it's a normal part of the process. But I, what I will tell you is that had I stopped at my second year as a school psychologist, I would have never met some amazing families, some amazing students over these 20 years. I will tell you, these people have transformed my life to help me to realize that there is more to me than just being a school psychologist. And I put that in quotes. It has taught me to be a social justice advocate. It has taught me to think outside the box when creating spaces for people. Um, being a school psychologist has taught me that it's okay to accept your differences, but whatever you do, don't ever give up in this process. So I think that would be my greatest advice is realize that you can't change the system. All you can do is change each child one at a time. Very nice. Very nice. I love that advice right there. And an excellent way to wrap up the interview. Uh, Abel, it's been such a great, great, great talk. Um, and I, I really want to uh, circle back to that, uh, you know, your your new venture that you're, you, you've you started um, and really just shout that out. And anything else like social media, website, book, anything that, you know, that my audience can reach yours with. Absolutely. So actually, the vlogcast show that I'm doing is called Finding the Superpowers Within. It is with my affiliate partner, Dr. Harold Hackey Reitman out of New Jersey, currently lives in the Florida area. But the website to the vlog show, which actually officially launches today, so this is a, a double special day for me, is www.differentbrains.org. That's www.differentbrains.org. And the podcast show is going to be called Finding the Superpowers Within. 
Your listening audience can also connect with me via Instagram and LinkedIn. And my handle for both Instagram, no, no, my handle for Instagram is Autism Coach Strategist. That's Autism Coach Strategist. And my LinkedIn handle is Ask Doc April. And that is A S K D O C A P R I L. Additionally, I do have three published books on Amazon. So if you just look for me under April J. Lisbon, you will find my three books. So, which really focuses in on the special uh, education journey, not from the perspective of a school psychologist, but from the perspective of the parent, and I am that parent. So I do have three books that really focus in on the the highs and lows that come with raising a child with special needs. Um, I have a book that also talks about autism because I am the parent of a child, of an autistic child. And the last book is really addressing bullying when it comes to children with special needs. So find me on Amazon, Barnes and Nobles. As I said before, you can reach out to me on social media. And like I tell people, if you Google me under April J. Lisbon, you will see a lot of the podcasts that I have already done, as well as some of the print media that I've also provided input to. Excellent, excellent, excellent. And we're going to leave all of that in the link in the description below. Uh, Folks, please go ahead and check Dr. April J. Lisbon out. She is one of the very best out doing it right now. And April, I couldn't have asked you for a better interview. So thank you so much. Now, folks, there are three types of work, a job, a career and a calling. Most people have a job. You're lucky if you find your career, but you're truly, truly blessed if you find your calling. And I hope that me and April helped you find it here today. That is a wrap. If you enjoyed today's podcast, make sure to leave a review so that someone else can discover it too. Make sure to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn at YI Network for episode updates, weekly takeaways, quotes of the week, and much, much more. And if you or somebody else you know is passionate about their job and would like to share their story, email us at whyimpassionate at gmail.com. Again, whyimpassionate at gmail.com. Talk to you soon, folks. And I play my position. You talking too much. Please learn how to listen. I never give up. I'm not quitting. I'm persistent. I'm willing to go the distance. I feel like I'm up on the mount like I'm pitching. I'm fighting the move.